Hey, Tourpreneurs, it's Mitch Bach. And just a quick note before we begin today's episode, Tourpreneur is currently sponsored by Google. We're thankful for their support of our community, and we are offering with them a completely free course helping you unlock the power and potential of Google's Things to Do program, which is specifically helping tour operators add their tours to Google in new ways that gives you new exposure and more direct bookings. To learn more, go to tourpreneur.com slash Google. And as always, show notes, more resources, links to our newsletter, our business coaching community, and so much more are available on tourpreneur.com. Now to the episode. Welcome to the Tourpreneur Podcast. Travel industry veteran Shane Whaley will take you on a journey with fellow tourpreneurs, sharing their tips, ideas, insights, and success stories to inspire you to make your tour business the best it can be. And now, here is your host, Shane Whaley. And joining us on episode 175 of Tourpreneur is Angie Johnson. She is the tourpreneur behind A Taste of SLO, Walking Food Tours. That's San Luis Obispo. Welcome to Tourpreneur, Angie. Thank you so much, Shane. I'm so happy to be talking with you today. Absolutely. I've enjoyed your interactions on the Facebook group. I know you've asked some very important questions on there and I've often wondered when I've looked at your website first of all I get very hungry uh some fantastic photos on there and videos and I get hungry thank you thank you and um I'm just nosy I always want to know how did you get started how did you grow what barriers you faced and I want to share that with our listeners today so before we dig into that how what were you doing before you started your tour business well Shane I have been in the food service industry for over 20 years uh, you know, on, in small town Minnesota where I grew up, my first kind of big girl job that I got was a waitress at a local supper club. How's that for a throwback for you? And uh, <laughs> I, I've just always worked in restaurants. I tried a few other careers in life, but um, I guess the kind of human that I am is one that I'm, I'm horrible at following rules, Shane. I don't really like to be told what to do or where I should be or anything. I don't like when people try to squelch my style. So restaurants always were great for me because it's a very low uh, commitment, I guess, if you would say, and, you know, kind of a very much go at your own pace. And the only thing I had to worry about was giving great customer service and knowing about food and drinks and wine and, you know, just having that ability to anticipate people's needs and keep them happy. And that's what I'm good at. I'm a servant, most definitely. Uh, so that's kind of my background is just, you know, being, uh, a service orientated waitstaff person and my taste of slow journey began, uh, I'm originally from Minnesota and I've lived in California for eight years and I moved out here on a whim on like literally a 30 day notice with my sister and her boyfriend who she was deeply in love with. And he is a San Luis Obispo native. And they just kind of decided to up and move back to California uh, in November before winter came because nobody wanted to live in Minnesota for another winter. We were all kind of like, yeah, California, coastal California. So I moved out there with my sister and her now husband. And I worked at a restaurant, of course. <laughs> uh, and my journey took me to Santa Barbara. And I was in love, if anybody can relate to that, the crazy decisions we make when we're in love. And so I moved to Santa Barbara and I was looking for a job and I came across a uh, post on Craigslist for a food tour guide. And I was just like, oh, what is this? I've never heard of such a thing before. So, you know, how the internet takes us. And so I ended up on this girl's Facebook page and I was looking at her profile and she was just like me. She was the same age. You know, uh, and she just wrote, my friends in Catalina started the food tour and they told me I should start one. So I did. And I only ended up being in love and living in Santa Barbara for 11 days. That was a, that was a quick one, Shane. <laughs> <laughs> and, 
Yeah. I moved back to San Luis Obispo and my little sister, she was so mad at me that I had given up my job at the country club with, you know, paid time off and benefits to go chase this love interest. And I came back and I told her, I'm like, you watch and see sister. I said, I'm going to build a business. And I did from that day forward. I had it in my head that I was going to start a food tour in San Luis Obispo. And I had never been on a food tour before in my life. And I don't want to be so loud by fair to say like, how hard can it be? Because it was hard. It was very intimidating and very much pushed my boundaries and my comfort zone to go and create something that didn't exist and to just, you know, build, build a business plan and approach people and, you know, build a website and just all the things that go into it. But I, I did it. I did it. And I, and the first food tour that I ever took out, I had still at that point, never been on a food tour myself, but Fast forward six years later, I've been on many food tours. Yeah. So just to just just to clarify, then you you saw the, the the job ad for the food food tour guide. You didn't apply for it. You just read about it, and then that that gave you the idea. Is that is that correct? Yep, that's correct. I think maybe I did reply to apply to. It. I don't remember because it was such a short lived mm. thing that I was in that city for. You know, I like I said, you know, love it's crazy. It's a crazy drug. <laughs> I was tripping. So after the 11, after eleven days, you moved back to down to San Luis Obispo. Yeah, moved back into my sister's house. I was like, "Hey, I'm back." <laughs> and <laughs> why do I feel yeah. like we should have your sister on this podcast with you? Never mind the food entrepreneurial stuff. I think there's some stories here. <laughs> oh, Sabrina would have some stories to tell. She certainly would, you know. But she's been a big help. My yeah. my business was built from a team of my closest women. Uh, tribe. My my sister um, owns a uh, marketing company that uh, specifically markets uh, Facebook, Instagram, social media marketing. My uh, cousin is a graphic designer. She did my logo. My best friend, who nice. I've known since I was like eight, um, designed my website for me. Uh, my brother-in-law, you know, helped me build my business plan and took me out to the businesses and kind of held my hand until I, you know, felt confident. He was like my was like my blankie or my pacifier i'm curious what their reaction was so you you come back and you say hey or or maybe i'm incorrect here but you had this idea for hey maybe i can start a food tour here in slo um and then you spoke to your various family members who have this you know areas of expertise what was their initial reaction to you when you suggested this oh they were super stoked for me my my brother-in-law he's totally a yes man he has his own business my sister has her own business all those, all those people I just mentioned, they're all entrepreneurs. So, um, right. you know, they were like, they were like, go get it. Like, here we are to support you and uplift you and help you in whatever way that we can. And to this day, they all still do. And so it's really great to be surrounded by people who, instead of saying like, oh, no, like this could happen. They were all like, yeah, let's do that. So, you know, your vibe is your tribe. So you can do anything if you want to. Yeah, and then you, so you have the idea for the business. You speak to some family members. Great that they're cheerleading. Um, what were the next steps for you? I mean, how did you go about researching the competitive landscape? Whether there was a um, you know a need and a desire for food tours in SLO? How did you go about doing that? Well, uh, at the time, there actually was and still is another food tour company operating in the area. But when we talk about slow. Um, SLO. Uh, it's, you know, pretty vast landscape. There's slow County and San Luis Obispo is the major city in it. And this other um, food tour operator, they operated in San Luis Obispo and Paso Robles, which is the Appalachian north of us over the, the grade. Um, and it's a big wine country up there. And they have uh, a really big food scene up there too. And um I wasn't intimidated by that at all because I think back to, I saw some, you know, I don't know about McDonald's when McDonald's started, you know, and how there was already other, so many burger places and how many burger places can you have in one town? And it's like, there's nothing wrong with a little honest competition to like keep you motivated and keep you going. And just because one person does something doesn't mean another person can't do it in a different way or, you know, whatever. So I just went ahead. I forged ahead with it. And the biggest thing I guess was eating, <laughs> eating all the food. <laughs> so once you get this idea in your head, you know, you really have to go out and you have to taste what's going to be featured on the tour. What's good. What's special. 
And that's what I started doing, you know, and I kind of like, it was a fun excuse to go out with my friends and eat and have a purpose for the eating and actually to be present and thinking about it. Yeah. Uh, as in, how could this be portion sized for a tour? Is this suitable for vegetarian? You know, is this really the showcasing the best of the best here? You know, what's the owner's story? Is this a top 10 place that people are already coming to? You know, nobody's going to pay me to take them to the top five places in San Luis Obispo. Let's do something interesting and unique. And that was the biggest thing was just going and taste testing all the food. And then, you know, all the logistical things that go into it, as in, you know, are, is this restaurant open for lunch and dinner or just dinner? Uh, what days of the week are they open? You know, San Luis Obispo is a very small town. So a lot of the businesses are closed on Mondays, Sundays, Tuesdays, holidays, you know, so just being aware of that yeah, and the logistics of walking, you know, how does the walk make sense? You know, it has to be um, something that, you know, starts at point A and ends at point B that, you know, is still close enough to their cars. And so, you know, just all the things that went into it. And I've been doing the tours for uh, six years. This is actually my six year anniversary in February. Uh, and the tours have changed a lot. Thank you. Thank you. It feels pretty yeah. crazy to like think back, you know, all the things that have happened. So I'm curious, you know, because it sounds to me in terms of designing the tour experience that you, I love this concept of you didn't just pick, well, these are the top five places to go. I'll build a tour around that. And you actually, I always feel that we want a behind the scenes experience. When I go to Montreal, I don't want to go to the top places. I want someone to say, oh, this place has got the best poutine and hardly only the locals come here. That's what I'm yeah. looking for. Otherwise, I can just pull up a guide and hit the top restaurants, right? Absolutely. Yeah, you can go and you can see what the top, you know, 3,000 rated restaurant is. And that is 100% not where I want to take people. I want to take them to the places that they wouldn't know. So major props to the restaurants who are the top, you know, uh, five or 10 in the area. I'm yeah. super proud of them and what they've accomplished, but that is not what I'm highlighting. And then the next step is, so you've identified, I mean, I love that you've gone out and done all this market research yourself. You've tried the foods, checked out the ambiance, worked out the walking routes, which is very important. So then the next step was obviously going to these establishments to say, hey, I'm, I'm building a food tour. Uh, I, I want to include you. What was that like for you? What was Talk us back to the first time you had to do that. Oh, my gosh, I was so scared. I couldn't do it by myself. Yeah. My, bro my brother-in-law, Rick, had to come with me. He had to, like, hold my hand. And I specifically remember two restaurants that I went to and those restaurants I still work with actually. And one of them was a barbecue place, uh, old San Luis barbecue company. And then the other one is called Slow Provisions. And, you know, I kind of had I, my idea of what I wanted to talk to them about, but, you know, at the time I really didn't know what I could offer the businesses besides kind of showing them off. Uh, but the business owners were super nice and so excited to work with me. And, uh, yeah, I just remember it being really scary. I was really intimidated. I, I remember, like, the week before I was in Marina Del Rey with my cousin. And, you know, here in California where cannabis is legal, I had uh, maybe partaken in a little bit of cannabis and got really deep into my own head and was like, oh, my God, Ian, do you think people are going to pay you? go out and do a food tour. You know, I had this major freak out before the actual first tour. Um, but my first tour was, I call it a, a beta tour. So it was all friends and family. And it went mm -hmm. great. You know, it went so well. And so kind of once that happened and I was like, oh, okay. You know, this is, this is just like having fun. It's just like, Taking your friends out on yeah. a walk around the let's, city. Let's jump back a little, though, if I could. Mm -hmm. If I could rewind a little bit, because I'm still intrigued by, you know, you don't have a product if the restaurants and the bars say no, right? You don't you don't have a food tour. No. And I think this is something that a lot of food entrepreneurs struggle with, is like you were lucky you had your brother-in-law who went in with you, but many of our listeners had to, you know, go in and, and do it on their own. So what advice would you have to listeners that are nervous about approaching restaurants and bars based on your own experience? Well, um, I guess one of the things that I've seen come up a lot in your Facebook group is the don't show up and throw up theme. I <laughs> know, <So, laughs> I should get t-shirts made. <laughs> yeah, it's a good one. I mean, it's such a good thing to have in the back of your mind, though. You know, like, I actually, 
just actually went to a restaurant yesterday and talked to a manager. I've been kind of playing a email tag with them. And the owner of the restaurant is actually in London right now. So he wasn't, and I was, you know, just kind of like, hey, like I've been playing, playing chasing with Benny, you know, on the, on the email. I'd really like to, you know, get you guys featured on the tour. And for that particular restaurant, like they in no way, shape or form need any help with promotion. They, um, they're already a big hype. So I just want to go there. And basically what I tell them is, Hey, you know, we come in, we turn and burn. We're 30 minutes. We're in and out. You know, I just want to show people how cool your restaurant is. I want to share your story. It's inspiring. It's interesting. You know, Flow is such a cool community of entrepreneurs and mom and pop shops. Like, I just want to, you know, tell people how cool you are. That's it. So I guess I kind of am appealing to the narcissist and everyone. I'm always curious because I've been on a a few food tours in my time. And I would say the vast majority of that time, I have gone back to one of those Mm -hmm. restaurants, either on that stay or when I've gone back to that city again, oh, I need to go back to that barbecue place. It was so good. And I I do wonder about the repeat business. It happens all the time, Shane, all the time. I hear from the business owners that people specifically come back and mention my name, my food tour. I actually went to the barbecue restaurant a couple weeks ago and I had my tour guide tote bag with my logo on it and I walked in and there's a family of like six people sitting there and they say oh they're like are you a part of the tour we went on it two weeks ago and now we come back every time we visit you know we never knew it's so good so just to randomly you know hear that um it's pretty great and yeah, yeah the business owners love it because the business owners know the tours are coming in and we have some business owners that specifically when we do the tours, take the time to come out and talk to the people. And it just is so special, you know, for the owners to come out and introduce themselves and, you know, just be interested in these people. It really sticks with them because it's kind of cool. You know, otherwise when you go to a restaurant and you order food, that's what you do. You go up to the front, you order your food, you sit down, you leave and there's no memory. There's no like, Oh, you know, they're from Georgia and, you know, we went there on vacation and we loved it. And, you know, that you kind of make that association and then you have that strong connection, which keeps people coming back. You hear a lot about Arrival on this podcast. It's the conference designed for entrepreneurs just like you. The Arrival conference features so many practical sessions to help operators with direct bookings, digital marketing, tour and experience design, business operations, and so much more. You'll also get to connect with great people from OTAs, technology companies, marketing experts, and get inspired to grow your business in the year ahead. What we love most about Arrival is seeing operators and entrepreneurs, large and small, meeting each other and building new friendships and partnerships, seeing them share their stories and their learnings. This is what makes Arrival so special. So why not join Shane and many other entrepreneurs in Las Vegas, October 10 to 13 at Arrival, the event where operators, attractions, and experienced creators learn, connect, and grow. Find out more at www.arrival.travel. So with your with your six years experience running food tours, what would you say is in it for the restaurants? What's the big win for the restaurants? Definitely that repeat business of people coming back and people finding out about things that they otherwise would have no idea about. You know, like I said, most of these restaurants that we're visiting, especially I do a tour called the Uptown Mojo Tour. And that's kind of this not as highly trafficked part of San Luis Obispo that has these little gems of businesses that people who just go downtown would never find. And that's where the majority of people go is they go downtown. And so there's one restaurant that we go to. It's actually a chocolate shop and they make vegan chocolate shakes, which most people have never had their lives. And most people would never associate a chocolate shop having vegan chocolate shakes (laughs) and they are delicious. And it really just blows people's mind to, you know, have kind of that huge surprise. And how much they like it, too, because a lot of people have a negative association with veganism, too. They think like, oh, vegan food can't be good. And the shakes are just out of this world. Delicious. So, so you said the tours have changed a lot since you started. 
Um, can you give us a couple of uh, of ways that they have changed? You know, from from your six years of experience, what's changed on the tours? Like physically for the tours, what have changed have been. You know, businesses are always coming and going, and I like to stay hip on that. I do get, I, I when I started the tours, I didn't really think that I would get a lot of repeat business, but I do, which just really surprises me. I've had some people that have come on the tours mm. like four or five times. They come every time they go to Swell. And once I realized that that was a thing, I kind of, you know, figured it was in my best interest to keep the tours fresh and interesting and be really aware of new businesses that are coming and going. And then just also having personal standards that I need to have met for a business relationship. Uh, 90% of the restaurants are really easy to work with and really great. But then there's some that just aren't. So, um, and I work in restaurants, like I know, like I know what happens. I know like, you know, there's an owner, there's a manager and there's staff. And between what happens between those three tiers, as far as communications go, um, there's really some gaps. So it's not the restaurant, you know, necessarily, but just what I need. And I'll go back to the turn and burn philosophy. When you're doing a three hour walking tour and you're going to visit five places, we're on a pretty adherent time schedule. So I just like want to make sure that the restaurants are easy to work with. And then uh, I guess just, you know, the things that I've learned over the years. And then of course, you know, coming out of a two-year pandemic, you know, how that kind of altered things when that was happening. But now to me, things are Mm -hmm. currently where I live normal again. So you mentioned restaurant staff. And, you know, the question I have for you is the manager says, yes, the owner says, yes, I'd love to have you on. But then it's really important to have that really good working relationship with the staff because they're the ones that are serving you. They're the ones that are greeting you. (laughs) If they're miserable and sour faced when you walk in, that's going to ruin the whole experience. Do you have like, how do you build up that good working relationship with the staff person who may be on minimum wage? You know, do they really care? Like, how do you make them care, you know, to give that attention to your guests? First of all, I don't know if you know, but San Luis Obispo is the happiest city in America. Uh, Oprah coined at that on one of her shows many, many years ago. And it's a title that we hold very seriously. <laughs> mm. um, so as far as the staff go is, um, I would say, and I'm kind of just trying to like flip through my head, but I'm trying to think, most of the places that we visit, the staff is very familiar. Um, for instance, we visit this one place uh, called the Granada. It's a beautiful boutique hotel and bistro. And we have brunch there on our downtown tours. And our server, 80% of the time, is this lovely human named Hannah. And Hannah does it all. She brings our food out. She mixes the cocktails. She's on it. Like, she knows when we walk in what to do. She's always... Uh, has a bright smile on her face. She knows the routine. And, you know, we're only there for 30 minutes. I try to really tip her handsomely and be as expedited as we can and be helpful. And, you know, money, Shane, you just give them money. <laughs> you know, tips, tips make the world go round. They do. And and I ask you that question because with your background, working in restaurants i wonder what you picked up being on the other side being on the staff side right working your backside off for very little money and working hard to get tips and then you know a, a group of tourists come in like you know what are you sharing with this you, you probably are doing things in terms of communication with with the staff and the way you treat them that to you is just second nature but for someone starting a food store business may not be aware of it because they haven't got all those years service that you had like you said, talk to the manager or the owner and they may give you approval, but it's really the staff that you're dealing with on a day-to-day basis. So it's really about making good relationships with them and being kind and being patient and just trying to help them. You know, like if I need water, I'll go grab a pitcher of water. If I, you know, I'm missing a plate, if I know where they're at, I'll go get them. You know, I don't mind pitching in and helping as long as I'm not stepping on anyone's toes and I just, you know, at the end of the day, want it to be a good experience for the guests. So, uh, yeah, as, as a server, I guess it's just second nature to me, like how I think that I would want something to go if I was waiting on them. So, yeah, yeah big tips are the biggest thing. And then if I can ever get 
anybody's email who is somebody who I'm going to be dealing with directly on the floor every day, I do that. I do that. I'll just be like, hey, you know, I just had this happen actually this week. I was emailing the manager and the manager, it was not trickling down. And so the staff, I was just like, hey, girl, I'm like, just give me your email. Because I'm like, I really hate to walk in here and surprise you with the fact that you have to prep food for 10 people and you're opening in 30 minutes and you didn't know about this. So I'm like, just, you know, give me your email. This will never happen again because I can talk to you directly. And I just like literally supersede the management. I'm just like, I'll just go right to her. Have you, this is maybe a, a wild card idea. Have you ever thought with, with the regular staff that you see, like the person you just referenced, have you ever thought of running a complimentary food tour and saying, hey, I want you to come on the food tour I want to take you out so you can see what it's like to be on the other side and then you take them out. I mean, I know that's a financial hit, but I just think in terms of the reward that that staff member feels very, you know, well treated by you, just just a, a random idea. No, I haven't thought of that, but I love that idea. I think I should totally do that. I should totally do that. I'm going to write it down right now. Because <laughs> A, it's a nice way to reward them for being so friendly, but also they do get to see the other side of what it's like to be on. Maybe they've never been on a food tour before. Yeah, you know, that's a great idea. I mean, it's such a great way to hype up the business too. I did, so something like you said, I tried it a few years ago. Um, I took out front desk staff at the hotel on a mini food tour as like a kind of a guerrilla marketing technique. Because I feel like, you know, a lot of people talk about doing rack cards and talking to concierge and the hotel staff. But I find that when I tell people that I have a food tour company, I get a lot of blank looks. And people are like, what is that? And I'm like, it's a food tour. And, and they're still just like, oh, and you know, it's really hard for them to conceptualize it. And so when you go into a business and you're talking to like a minimum wage college student and you're like hey can you tell people about my food tour like it just does not like compute they just like are like um okay you know so I offered to take people on a food tour a mini food tour and then fast forward uh, that was a few years ago one of those staff who was a front desk staff is now a manager at one of the restaurants that we visit so he totally gets what we're doing because he came on the food tour. And so he's so much easier to work with. So what you said totally ties into that. So I think that that's a great idea, Shane. And I thank you for giving it to me. And I'm definitely going to pass it on to some of my career faces. Yeah, no, I think uh, let, let us know how you get on with that, because it could be a strategy that other food entrepreneurs i'm sure some are doing it already i'm sure that's not a shane idea i've probably heard it from someone else before but uh it's always good to know when you road test it how it worked and what you learned from it um i just want to change gears so you've walked us through how you designed the tours how you got up and running your four, first tours with family and friends do you remember which channel or how you acquired your very first paying customer that wasn't friends and family I used booking software. Oh my gosh. I can't even remember what it was called now. I had this ticketing system because, you know, these are things that most, you know, people, well, we're talking to tourists right now. How do you get people to pay for your product? Right. So I had Googled it and I had come up with this ticketing system, which I now realize is not, was not good at the time, but, um, they had just Googled me and I had came up and Google, you know, Slow is such a small pond. And I think that I basically, I went to some free uh, SEO classes that were hosted by my local score, um, which is, you know, really active here in Slow. San Luis Obispo, like the demographic of Slow is entrepreneurs. It's kind of a crazy hothouse of ideas here. There's just movers and shakers and idea makers everywhere. So it's really a town that supports that idea. And so, you know, I just kind of, you know, went to the Chamber of Commerce. I went to the Downtown Association. I was writing blogs. I, you know, was just trying, I was on Airbnb. I was one of the first experiences in um, California. They actually contacted me, which kind of flattering, <laughs> even though I don't get a ton of business from Airbnb. It was still, it, it was still flattering. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I was on TripAdvisor. 
And, you know, my first booking came in through that obscure booking website I had. It was actually, you know, just some strangers. And I just remember that day thinking like, oh, my God, it happened. And it was actually um, two couples that came on my very first tour. So, uh, but it was done without any money. You know what I mean? Without any advertising, anything that I paid for, which looking back is crazy. And did you build the website yourself or was it part of the booking system? Okay. So yeah, my friend, um, April, uh, she has a, she, she builds websites for a living. So mine is a professionally done website that I had. No, I did not do any of that. I, uh, did provide, you know, the photos and, you know, the schematics of what I wanted to do and whatnot, but she built the website for me. My booking that I initially used, which I'm sorry, I can't remember the name of it. It was, it was for event ticketing. Like if you were going to have like a festival or something like that, it was more like booking system for that. And then I got contacted by Peak Pro and, you know, listened to one of their sales pitches and tried it out. And I've been really happy with Peak Pro since then. You know, like it's worked for me. Any issues I've had, they've generally resolved. Any things that I ever thought of that they could have done better did get implemented over time. So I've been very happy with that. Um, and it integrated really easily into my website. Um, so I think that the flow of my website's pretty good. I've definitely went through it as a try to be an objective person like I'm going to book something and try to do it and then also compare it to like other booking systems that I've used when I've booked food tours so I think that's really important to go through your booking system and make sure that there's no um sales stops that would prevent people from quickly and easily booking a tour excellent um and then in terms of marketing paid marketing so at what point did you start saying okay I need to put some money into doing some paid marketing to attract guests? Well, it was actually, again, one of those great score classes that I went to. Um, when I learned how how much you could tap into Facebook to really capture a certain crowd that mm. you wanted. And I remember my instructor that day had told the story about how Target had gotten sued by a man his family because he had gotten really upset because he had some marketing mailers come to his house from target for for a pregnancy and he had like a 17 year old daughter and turns out she was pregnant and she didn't tell him because she didn't want to but because her algorithms Ooh. were so obvious online yeah. that target had captured her user information and realized that she was pregnant and sold her coupons for like free diapers or a baby registry you know, so, you know, when that kind of came to light, you know, of course, things have been enacted now where, you know, so much of your personal information isn't exploited, or at least they tell us that. Uh, but, you know, once I kind of learned about that, how you could really tap into directly accessing the type of consumer that you wanted, because I, at that point, knew what kind of consumer I was targeting. That's when I decided spending some money on Facebook marketing. And I am a elder millennial. And so I, you know, it's, it's what I'm familiar with and it's what I use. I appreciate uh, the maybe more archaic forms of marketing, which is, you know, like print and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And I love to support local whenever I can. And I think that Facebook is just a monster in some ways, but it's also a profit generating monster. So it is what it is. So I've tapped into Facebook and I just really like it because you can control your spend limit, you know, as much or as little as you want per month. And I have found that I have gotten just so much from it because I've really dialed in my target market. And actually, one of my things I need to do this spring is recreate a new ad. Um, it's one of my goals that I'm going to do because I've had my current ad running for since May. Since May, I've had an ad running, and the last time I checked, it had had been like imprinted like almost five hundred thousand times. It's incredible to me just how powerful Facebook ads are. And I've said a couple of times on the show, and and you know, I was in San Diego fairly recently, 
And what shocked me was you've got a big event in town, arrival full of tour operators. I only saw one tour in my Facebook feed locally, and it was like a San Diego stunt aeroplane experience, which I'm scared of heights, so I ain't going anywhere near a stunt aeroplane tour. Um, I didn't see anything else. And then the other ad I saw, which I thought was very clever, and I know he sometimes listens to the show, is Tom Cratch at TRK Creative. They're a digital marketing agency for tour operators. And he was running ads within a three-mile radius of the conference venue. And I thought that was superb. Sorry, Tom, if I've just outed your secret he's, to the world. Because like, if I'm there and I'm an operator and I'm seeing this guy's ad, yeah. I mean, it was, uh, it's... But then, I, you know, and I think that sometimes, you know, I travel a lot. And sometimes I'm lucky to see one ad for an experience in my Facebook feed. And I just think it's such a missed opportunity. And it's a missed opportunity then because... You know, Facebook ads is not easy. It used to be easy. Even I could use Ad Manager a few years ago. Now I look at it and my eyes glaze over. I'm like, I, I need a professional in here. I, I don't think I can it's, do it it's, anymore. It's hard on, yeah, if Facebook, it changes all the time, all the time, right? When you think you get it. Um, creating yeah. the ads um, on the app on your cell phone is actually really easy. Um, that the... The website one, the business, the business suite, the business manager, that webpage to me is like a hot mess. Yeah. When I look at that too, I'm like, uh, I don't know. Like, I feel like I tried to reinstall my pixel the other day and I really had to like go on Google and be like, how to do pixel. And it was like, it was an event. It was just like such, in such a weird, nonsensical place. But I find yeah. on the app, on the cell phone, it's really easy to do, especially if, you know, you know your keywords about people and the pixel is also really important too for retargeting that's something that i learned from my sister who you know does this for a living you know gets paid and she just said because then the pixel is retargeting customers that have already seen it and you can also create lookalike audiences so instead of trying to recreate the wheel facebook uses its information to create a lookalike audience for you based on your pixel so, um, yeah, that was something I did. And that's why I need to create a new ad because I need to create a, a lookalike audience. Our friend Chris Torres over at the Tourism Marketing Agency has just launched a series of five-minute workshops designed to help you make small changes but make big, positive impacts in your tour business. Chris will cover such topics as email marketing, video creation, sales processes, review building, and much, much more. This free 10-week series will be available on his Digital Tourism Show Facebook group, YouTube channel, and all good podcasts. Just search The Digital Tourism Show for details. What tips would you have for tourpreneurs around the world that want to start with Facebook ads they're nervous about it. They're scared about it. I mean, you, you've said about targeting audiences for a lot of people. It's like, well, I don't know how my, you know, there, there's all sorts coming on our tours. I don't know how to do it. What advice would you have? Uh, so here's the first thing I did. I chose women over men. I chose women over men because in my experience, 80% of the time, they're the ones that are planning the trips. So I just right there, I drew my line in the sand on gender. Then um, I chose an age range and I have a pretty broad age range. Like I'm looking for, I think my age range is like late twenties to like mid sixties. So that one's pretty wide. Then I did just the state of California because I've also learned over the years that the majority of my tour guests are in state California travelers. So for listeners out there who probably have never heard of San Luis Obispo, I am located right in between San Francisco and Los Angeles in coastal California. And Californians want to come here because they want to get away from the traffic. They want to get away from the city. They want to come to beaches that are pristine. We're also um, a premier wine country. We have tons of hiking destinations. So San Luis Obispo is just very attractive for in-state travelers because you can get in a car and you can be in kind of a paradise in three hours with your whole family. So I just decided to target California. Then I targeted people who like food <laughs> and foodies. But even at that point, I am still targeting 
tens of millions of people. So I then narrowed it down even more to people who like Cal Poly, which is our local university. And so anybody who has a tie to Cal Poly, so that really is what dialed it in for me because those are people who had a student or are alumni or were faculty or had a niece or a nephew, you know, and they came to San Luis Obispo because of Cal Poly or they're interested in Cal Poly. And so that's my target market. Do you then split them out? So you say, okay, well, that's the one that's going to be for Cal Poly and then have one who are just California like food. Do you, or do you just stick with that one ad set? Well, um, my, so here's what I heard from my sissy. And of course this might be somewhat dated information, but I don't think so. I think this was a pretty good tip. She said that when you do your ads, to not put an end date on them. Facebook prioritizes ads that aren't just for 30 days or whatever. They are never ending. So by not putting, because you can stop the ad whenever you want to. You can just go in there and say, stop, and it's just a little toggle. But if you leave it never ending, then Facebook prioritizes it because it's a never ending ad. So it can be on a constant cycle. So kind of once I committed to not ending it, I just left it up because it was getting such good results and still does. It's a great performing ad. I, um, you know, it has had over a hundred shares. It's got hundreds of comments. It's got like a thousand likes. And the picture that I used for it was one that got really good um, response on Instagram. Uh, it was one that people liked. You know, you never know what people are going to respond the best to. And so I kind of experiment when I put things on Instagram. If they are a good picture, then I save those for future reference to use as a paid ad photo. Uh, in that picture, people just really like it for whatever reason. So, yeah, like I said, my I want to make a new ad set with that lookalike audience using a new picture and talking about my new newest tour, which is a public market tour, which I just launched, which has been selling out since I launched it so people really seem to like that one so I kind of want to experiment a little bit with a new ad and see what I can make happen and this is probably a stupid question but when you set the the ad and you don't put an end date on it I presume you set a budget per day allowance right yes 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 I do a very modest budget per day you know if if I'm feeling rich maybe I'll spend a hundred dollars a month on advertising if I'm feeling not so rich maybe I'll just have it be 50 or 60 dollars you know, it's just kind of what you want it to be. And to me, spending $50 a month on something is peanuts, really, in the big scheme of things. Yeah, I just bring that up because I, I urge people, if they're going to do that and have a never-ending campaign, just cap your budget. Because otherwise, whatever you put in, Google's going to, oh, sorry, Google, Facebook's going to spend in that one day, right, just to get the money. So to be careful to with the budget. Yeah, they'll totally spend what you say you will, 100%. Um, but... Yeah, whatever fits your budget. I mean, you can just do a dollar a day if you want. I think the minimal you have to do is like one or two dollars a day. I've heard five, but I'm not the expert. It's not because I have it set at two right now. Yeah, I turned it down because it's the slow season. So once the um, busy season comes up, I'll turn it up again. I've heard some experts say, you know, five or ten bucks a day. And now I'm saying it's working at two. That's a lot. You know, lessons from in the trenches. Yeah. Yeah, $10 a day. That's a lot. That's $300. I mean, you know, I'm a small scale business. You know, I I only operate on the weekends. I have a minimum of four guests to tour and I end up consolidating them a lot into tours. And, you know, some weekends I'll be really popular and I'll be selling out. But, you know, you never know what's going to happen. That's one of the things of the tour guide. You just never, you never know what's going to happen. That was actually one of the questions that uh, Sean Rice asked. He said, you know, with such a being in such a small town, how do you support a full-time business? Oh, well, Sean, it's not a full-time business. I wish it was. You know, I would like it to be. I still work um, part-time at a restaurant. I'm still a waitress for anybody who's wondering. (laughs) Um, However, my tour business greatly supplements my lifestyle. And I, my boyfriend and I, we love to travel and we've gone to a lot of different countries. I travel probably every month. I go on a pretty significant vacation. You know, I went to four different skiing destinations this winter and my um, tour uh, guide business 
my tour business, excuse me, totally subsidizes all of that. So if I didn't have it, I wouldn't be living as fun of a lifestyle as I do now. And so do I think that I could scale it one day to be a full-time business? Like, I would hope so. I have big aspirations to move out of San Luis Obispo and the neighboring cities. I even kind of sometimes think about going to my home state of Minnesota. I have this crazy idea of starting one in Costa Rica because I want to buy property there because it's the last place on earth where you can buy an affordable home. <laughs> so yeah. I have all sorts of ideas about what I want to do in the future. So maybe one day it will be, but I don't think... I could make it be that just by being in San Luis Obispo. Because, I mean, like inflation, like everything that's going on with our economy right now, to subsist off of my tour business, I mean, I have to make a lot of money consistently. And that's the thing. You just don't know if you're going to come to Friday and you're going to have two people signed up for your tour or 20 people are going to want to go. It's just so random. To finish up our conversation today, just to wrap up, if I put you in a time machine, and we go back six years, and I put you in front of Angie of six years ago, what would you whisper in young Angie's ears in terms of advice for the business? i tell young Angie, so young Angie was kind of a control freak, and she still is, but I didn't want to let anybody touch my business. It was mine and mine only. Now, six years later, I rarely host a tour anymore. I am a hundred percent like I've got three girls working for me. They mostly run the tours. Um, partially because I feel like once I've committed to giving somebody a job, I should do that. And also because um, they're very competent. Two of them um, have worked for me for enough time where I completely trust them and their ability and their decision-making. So I get to sit at home and reap the benefits, which is great. It's fantastic. And I actually didn't even think about that when I started the business. I just wanted to make extra money because I went to college at a private mm. school. And as an elder millennial, I'm carrying around that student debt still to this day. And I just knew that I needed to do something proactive for my future. Like I need to start a retirement account. I need to get out of debt. I need to be independent. I'm not married. I don't have any kids, just me. And perhaps this little dusty dog you saw here. Um, and that was my motivation to do it was just, I wanted to make a legacy for myself. And, um, I, I really held tight to it. I thought I was the only person that could do it. And I think I've become a lot more gentle in looking at the fact that my way is not the only way. And it's really nice to give that up and realize that people are interesting and varied and wonderful and are capable of doing things and ways you wouldn't even imagine until you experience it that's i think that's advice that many of us could do with to be honest i think we um you know in terms of being a control freak and not want to let things go um i think many of us suffer from that especially at the beginning it's our baby right it's our baby and to think about other it people leading our tours i mean that's a huge leap of faith yeah no it was it was hard for me but once i did you know once i got a competent and trustworthy guide in there that, you know, first time that I didn't have to go to a tour and I just got to like stay home was like, or I could travel or I didn't have to cancel on my tours because I was going to be away. You know, I remember the first time I was actually in Costa Rica sitting in a hammock on uh, the rooftop deck of my Airbnb drinking tequila shots with my bow. Well, I knew my tour guide was taking a group of 12 people out and I was going to make X amount of money and pay her too. And I was just like, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it was so nice. So out so you found someone you know uh, um, a diamond if you will because you can trust them to take the tours out they're reliable and i keep reading about um, tourpreneurs that are struggling to retain staff especially with the great resignation during covid of, of being difficult to to recruit and to retain talent how are you what are you doing what's your secret source to keep your trusted tour guide so happy working for you you know, my diamond in the rough, she really is a diamond. Um, she, I don't know if I know a secret for it because I have three girls working for me. One of them, Victoria, my diamond. She is a gal that was a friend of mine that I recruited. You know, she wasn't somebody who applied to a job application. It was when I kind of realized that I needed somebody to help me. And she was a trusted friend. 
Um, she's a little bit older than I am. Um, she's a mother and she has her own business too. She's also a yoga instructor. And so she understands, you know, what it's like to have something that's yours and be serious about it. And her integrity is sky high. Um, and she doesn't have any traditional job outside of that. So when I came to her, it was a great time for her to do it because her kids are leaving the house. She's doing her business. She's got time. She loves the fact that it's just for three hours. She loves the fact that she gets cash tips, that it gives us a reason to go out and have dinner together. And, you know, because she's on my eat team, you don't have to have an eat team. <laughs> um, and then I hired another gal who was actually a manager at one of the restaurants that we visited. And so I already had a professional relationship with her and knew her capacity. And now I just hired another brand new girl and she's super new. She just took out her first solo tour the other day. So, you know, I hope that she'll be great. But the thing is, um, she's in a grad program. So she might be moving in a couple months. My other tour guide yeah. is looking at houses in Monterey and she might be moving. So I feel like employees just don't stay forever. You know, you kind of have to realize that, that nothing is forever. So, you know, to attract good employees, I think that you need to be a pretty humble person and not be a control freak and realize like, okay, like, you know, you're going to give them the guiding bones about how to do this, but you have to like, let them blossom and be how they're going to be. And just really look yeah. for feedback from your customers. And if your customers are happy, who cares how they're doing it? Just shut your eyes and let it get done. Um, and, you know, if they're not happy, then you have to reevaluate it, but you just kind of have to do that trust fall at first. Um, but yeah, I feel like I'm always going to be looking for help. I'm looking for help right now. If somebody wants to be a tour guide, let me know. I'm, I'm, I'm looking for one. So. Yeah, absolutely. And should ask on our Facebook group, because it's amazing how many, how many uh, networks are on there and people that know good tour guides. Well, well, thank you for giving out some of your hammock time today to join us <laughs> on the, my, on the my show. Um, your website <laughs> um, your website is taste of slo walking food i will add that to the show notes which is which will be at tourpreneur.com forward slash 175 uh, thank you very much again for uh, coming on to the show angie thanks for having me shane it was really fun to talk with you today i really appreciate all you do for the tour community it's pretty amazing Thanks for listening to the Torpreneur podcast. Be sure to visit torpreneur.com to join the conversation and access the show notes, including links to the resources mentioned on today's episode. This is Torpreneur.